0: Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. Good morning, Grace Avenue Church fam. Great to be with you today. Uh, Again, can we just give a hand to all the friends and family who are visiting with us today for baptisms? Great to have you here. Uh, we've been in a series for the last few weeks. We've been talking about the subject of the heart. God talks about in Scripture, in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, how he's going to take the heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. There's a whole lot of theology and history there, but the, the long and short of it is God is softening the heart of people that had a hardened heart. And how many of you know that life, uh, you take a few blows in life, a few hits, and all of a sudden your heart can become hardened to things? Uh, your, your Dallas Cowboys go 0 and 3, and you can, your heart can become hardened from calling them America's team. <laughs> what a prideful gesture to call them America as if as if who gets to call for all of America? What pride God needs to deliver that organization from? But <laughs> someone like, was some like, "Oh boy, wrong church. I shouldn't have come here today." Um, God takes the heart of stone and he he turns it to a heart of flesh. What God does is God begins to work in our life on the inside in ways where we're able to receive from him things that we couldn't receive before. You know, when your heart is hardened, uh, it's, it's hard to receive the things from people who love you. It's hard to receive things from people who care about you. It's hard to receive from God. So the softening of the heart... Is not a a Texas thing or a macho thing, but I'll tell you what, it's a God thing. And it's the right thing for a father and a mother and any person who wants to follow God. God always gets to the heart of the matter. He doesn't just like the exterior and the appearance. He's not about the gram like we are. God is not just about appearance. God says it's the inside that I'm looking at. He passed over David's brothers, all the sons of Jesse, and said, no, none of these guys are the ones... Where is, is there another? And yet there was David in the field, tending sheep, worshiping God, and it was God that was pleased with David because David's heart was turned towards God. God says he searches the earth, moving to and fro, looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him. That makes me think a lot. When I got saved, I, I used to read that verse, and actually in, in in difficult seasons and difficult times as my faith was growing, I would just wonder, God, are are you looking in this season to see if my heart is turned towards you? That was a conviction I had. I I didn't want to be stuck in the appearance of looking like I was serving God. I wanted God to know at the heart of the matter. I wanted to serve him. I wanted to grow. And today I want to talk about the subject of greatness when it comes to what we think is great and what we say is great. And I want to talk about redefining greatness because in our world there's a lot of definitions about what greatness is. Um, Some of you can look back on some of your your pictures from 10 years ago, 15 years, 20 years ago, and you look at your hairstyle and you say, I thought that was great, (laughs) but what was I thinking? Or you look back on some of the style you had back then and you think, I really thought I was looking great, but now, come on, amen? <laughs> and, and here's the sad part. You paid money to look that way. <laughs> you worked at a job in your career, and you paid your own hard-earned money to look that great. You did. And so what I'm trying to say is that as time goes on, our definition of greatness can change. And often what we're calling great is something that we're really comfortable with or familiar with. Come on, grandpa's chair that's over at grandpa's house that's been around there for 30 years, grandpa's recliner that nobody can sit in, that's really comfortable. But 700 butts have been in that seat over the last 30 years. It's familiar. I wouldn't say it's great, it's just comfortable. Life gets like that as well. We get comfortable with the things in life that have come our way, and happens the same, I believe, in our faith. I believe it happens in our fatherhood, our manhood, and life. If we're not careful, the things that are not great become outdated and the things that God wants to be great, we can kind of just become familiar and comfortable with. And part of what God wants to change in your life this morning and in this season is what you define right now as great. God forbid you waste another 10 years Calling something great that God never saw as great. God forbid that you spend another 20 years exalting something that you think is, think is phenomenal and, and exactly how you need to live and where you need to be, only to look back with regret. And say, that wasn't great. That was pride. That wasn't great. That was foolish. That wasn't great. That was me being unteachable. Come on, as I I pastor people and as I've helped people over the years, regret is a heavy price tag to pay for the things that are in that arena of life. God is always looking to shape the heart of every man, every woman in in seasons where we don't always feel like we want to be shaped. In fact, I'd say sometimes we would rather just resist God and have him leave us alone. I'd rather you not change me. I've had enough surgeries this year. Can we just leave this one alone? I've been through enough pain this year. Could you not change this? But God always brings us back to his goodness and his greatness and what he calls greatness. The last few weeks we've been digging into this scripture called uh I'm sorry, this scripture from Proverbs where God talks about the heart, Proverbs 4:23 where it says that from the heart spring, all the issues of life, all the the issues, all the stuff that's really coming from our life is actually coming from the inside. And when we think of life, I I think that we think of life in this manner. We kind of think, you know what, when it comes to life, life is what has happened to me. That's how I am. And that's why I am the way I am. And that's the way I turned out the way I did. But then when you read the Bible and you understand the heart of God, God says, it's not actually what's happened to you. But life is actually what's happening through you. And this verse in Proverbs helps us to understand that. It tells us to guard our heart because in our heart, the mind, the will, and the emotions, all kinds of things are happening. And it begins to shape the way we see life. It begins to shape the way we treat people. And, and in this verse, he says, guard your heart for out of it flow all the issues of life. It's the wellspring of life. In summary, what it's saying is real life. Is happening through you. Real life isn't happening to you. Real life is what's happening through you. And there's nothing easier to get stuck in than life that happened to you. It's easy to get stuck in life happening to you. Let me say that one more time. It's easy to get stuck in what has happened to you. And then to set up a campfire... And for a long time, roast marshmallows over that story and that season of life. That can become your identity. That can become your drive. That can become your passion. And it's not always good. And God, again, brings it back to the heart and defines what greatness really is. One time when I, when I was in uh, middle school, I was in about seventh grade. I thought I was great, and I thought I was going to be in the NBA. <laughs> How dare you laugh at me right now? That was a child's dream, and you mock me by laughing at my dream. So I'd spent all of the sixth grade summer uh, like just switching gears. Uh, I'd I'd stopped skateboarding, and I just focused on basketball. I was obsessed with the NBA. Right? I was memorizing stats. I was looking at plays. We didn't have YouTube. You watched the game and you had to have it stick in your head one way the way Michael Jordan did that play. And then you had to go try and figure it out on the playground. Right? So here I was a little Michael Jordan wannabe. And I remember I was in seventh grade. And I don't know what it was about this game. But there's one game that I can say is the highlight of my potential NBA career. And it was in seventh grade. And I had steals. I had a block. I hit a three. I had a driving layup towards the end of the game, but there was this one moment where greatness did not happen, and it happened to be it happened to be where I was playing point guard and I was coming down coming down the lane. And I dribbled the ball and I remember I just had it in my mind. I could see my own highlight reel happening. It's like I'd been watching ESPN, and I was thinking, "This is my moment. It's time to shine." God put me on this earth. For this, for such a time as this, I have been born. And I remember I drove it up to the three, backed up, went through my legs, went back through my legs again, went this way. The guy juked him. He went that way. I had an open lane. I start driving in. I'm three steps in. And you know the Michael Jordan logo, right, where Jordan, his legs are spread and his, and his hands like that. I could see it in my mind. I'm supposed to do that. And so I did it. Knowing I couldn't dunk, I knew I could lay the ball up. So I went in my little seventh grade self, went, spread the legs, spread the hands, stretched out, got all the way to the top of the net because I wasn't that tall yet. And here's what I realized at that exact moment when I hit the net, I realized that you actually have to flip the ball from your hand into the net. It doesn't just magically levitate out of your hand and go into the net. I thought about everything up to that point, the moves. I hadn't thought about the actual delivery, and I got to that point, and I remember the crowd just going, oh, 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 (laughs) and then feeling the shame of that moment, realizing I'm not as great as I thought I was. Life will do that to you as well. You'll do things in life and in marriage and in your career where you've you got all your plays set. You've got all of your moves made. You are ready. You take it down to the lane. You're ready to drive it to the hole, and then, bam, you realize, not as great as I thought it was. God redefines greatness in our Christian life and our walk with God many times the same way. We hit these places in life where we think we're going to score on this move. We're gonna kill it in this career, this transition. This is the thing I've been waiting for. This relationship, this transition, this choice, this job, this raise, this city, this settling down, that house. This is the thing that's gonna cross me over. And many times God's saying, hey, I wanna get your attention here. Greatness is something far more than what you see in your limited sight. God wanted to teach that to the disciples in Luke chapter 22. He's at the Last Supper. He's about to go to the cross to be crucified. To take the weight of punishment for our sin upon himself, upon his own body. And he's sitting with his disciples before this moment. And he says, it says about him after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. He's talking about his sacrifice. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me? For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? And the disciples begin to ask each other, "Which of them would ever do such a thing?" I'll pick it up here on the screens. You can see the verses. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, "In this world." The kings and great men lord their power over people, yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table being served or the one who actually serves those at the table? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I'm among you as one who serves. Jesus is pointing out that culturally... The one who's the greatest is the one who's being served, the one who's in the seat of honor, the one who's in the seat of position and title. And God says, it's different when you're in the kingdom. It's different when you're a child of God. From now on, I want you to follow my example and not seek to be the one at the table that gets served, but seek to be the one who actually serves. Whatever you do, do it as under the Lord. Wherever you find yourself, serve as if you're serving God, not man. God gives us this New Testament picture of serving life, people, family, as a father, as a leader, as a pastor, as a business owner, as a mom, as a student. Wherever you are, he gives you the picture of don't sit in the seat to be served. Be the one who serves. He redefines greatness. And he shows us greatness is not something that the world can define, but something that he defines. He's saying that true greatness is service to others over being served. Now think about this for a second. Jesus takes this moment before his death to make something very clear to us about the heart of a servant. He wants us to understand that there's going to be times in life where we're demanding to be served, where our expectation is to be served, And he says, that's not what greatness is. Greatness is that you would serve. He's also saying that what you see in the world every single day the power trips, the shadiness, the backstabbing, the self seeking, the self promoting that is not greatness. Greatness is this it's what I define as one who serves. Right now you might think, okay, Daniel, that's nice. That's a fairy tale. I work in the real world. And here's what Jesus says to that. I want you to take this so-called fairy tale and change that world that you're in. I want you to take what I make real in your life, how I have served you. I now want you to go and serve others. I want you to serve this way in your marriage. I want you to serve this way in your family. I want you to serve this way as a friend to people. See, Jesus establishes a different value system than one that we're used to. In the world, we love to be served and catered to. Come on, anybody been to those places where they're carving off half a cow and they're just serving you meat all day, you just keep that green flow? Thank you, Jesus, for the green card. Just keep it coming, bro. So you should turn your card over. I will not turn my card over. I will let you know when I wanna turn this card over. Keep it coming. I did not say I wanted those bacon-wrapped chicken things. Bring on the beef. Keep it coming. I want the garlic, right? Like we love to be served and we love to, we love to be catered to. Those places are good, aren't they? <laughs> Those places are good. But we love to be served and catered to. But really, Jesus is saying, that's not the seat that, that you see me in. I want you to see Jesus. He's saying, that's not the seat I'm in. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the word of the Lord for us today. God came not to be served, but to serve. God came to serve. God came to serve this world. Served us in humanity, in his brokenness, in his divinity. Died on a cross. Established life for us. Rose from the dead. Fills us with his spirit. spirit, And then launches us into this place where he says, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Go and do the things that I've done. There's a kingdom mandate on your life, and God is calling you to it today, but he's got to redefine greatness for you, because if you're still looking at what the world that says great, you'll never see what God says is great. You'll miss great opportunities to serve people. You'll miss great opportunities to change someone's life. You'll miss great opportunities to give, to sow, to invest, to encourage, because you'll so, be so focused on, what am I getting from this? What's this place got? That's how, that's how Christians come into church these days. What's this place got for me? What's got for my kids? What's the worship like? What's it like? I'll try another one. It's like the shopaholic buffet of of, of church life. People don't realize how good they've got it. You know, as a church for years, we've never catered to that intentionally. In fact, we're kind of like, oh, this is not the church for you. Oh, we're so sad to see you go. Next. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> we want to build a family that wants to build families. Yeah. We want to build people that serve so that we can serve the world. Yeah. And that consumer mindset, it invades church life. It invades your faith. It invades your spirit. And if you're not careful, you're calling things you're calling things great that God has no part of. Yeah. It's called deception. Okay, I'm getting them back on my notes here. Getting a little heavy there. All right. Greatness is not what is happening for you. It's what's happening through you. That could change someone's marriage today. If today it stopped being about what's not happening to you and started being about what can happen through you, life could change. Marriage could change. Relationships could change. My little daughter is in that stage of uh, she's two, two years old, a little over two years old, and all she wants to do is be served (laughs) 24-7. Even when she's sleeping, she wants me sitting right there or somebody sitting right there in the rocking chair while she's sleeping Good night, baby. Sit down, sit down. Dada, sit down. No, Dada needs to go live life for five (laughs) minutes. She's not having it. So last night she was throwing a fit, massive fit, and... um, My wife was about done with it. And because I'm a better parent than my wife, I went and said, I'll I'll take care of this child because I did not come to be served. I came to serve. So I went into this rascal's room, and she's there. What happened was over off of 281, 1604, there's a church doing this big fireworks display. Fireworks were going off like it was 4th of July, and it was going on for like 30, 40 minutes, right? So she... She's crying and just tears and snot and everything. And so I walk in there and, and the, you know, I was about to tell her, hey, go to bed. You've had two bottles. It's the fourth time we've told you to lay down. The mercy tank is really low right now. You're about to get the retribution. You need to lay down. And uh, she pointed outside. She said, outside, scared. That's what I did. <laughs> The few words that she can say <laughs> broke me into pieces. <laughs> I was in there like, it's time to go to bed. Outside scared. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm here to serve. I said, do you want Dada to lay down on the floor with you and lay a blanket here? Yes. <laughs> okay, and let's, let's lay right here. I want my pillow. All right, let's get your pillow. <laughs> I want my monkey. Okay. <laughs> Dada lay down. Okay, all right. I want my baby. Okay, hang on. Which baby? There's seven of them in here. No, not that one, that one. I mean, it was just like this for a couple of minutes before we even get settled. And then I'm like, all right, all right. I need a good sermon illustration tomorrow, so I'm going to lay down and serve you. And that way I can teach the people of God in the flock tomorrow. And then she wanted to have a conversation for five minutes, and I'm like, we are not here to have coffee with Daniel. We are here to go to sleep. You need to lay your head down. So she fell asleep on the pillow, and as she does, she falls asleep on the pillow, on top of the whole pillow, which makes it really easy. Being Hispanic, I have eaten my fair share of tacos over the years, and what I've done is to learn how to take a sleeping child. You just fold the pillow like a tortilla, with the child in the middle being similar to the carne that you would have in your taco. (laughs) And then you just take that little child and you just gently place them inside the crib and like salsa or lettuce or whatever you desire, you put the blanket and the animals on top of them and you release your hands and say, God has done great things today. But how many of you know with a two-year-old, I'm learning to serve patiently in ways when I'd like to just be served. I would like to be served in a way. Can you just please go to bed so we can have some peace of mind? God changes the game on us. Next verse, Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Jesus is talking about a wedding feast here. It says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how They chose the places of honor. I want you to notice this. Jesus is at a party. He sees people, and he begins to see that people are choosing seats of honor. And then he says this. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everybody say everyone. For everyone who exalts himself, puts himself per- first, sits in the seat of honor, always demands first place, isn't there to serve, pushes their way to the front of the line. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, pushed at the front of the line. God's saying, when you come into the party, don't take the front seat, so that the master of ceremonies, or the master of ceremonies, or the one who's throwing the party, actually says, oh, dude, that's, that's not your seat. <laughs> you're way back there. <laughs> you ever done that at the wedding that you go to? You sit down and like, oh, this is, for the, this is for the bridal party. Everybody's already sitting down. Well, what other tables are left? Sir, you're going to be way back there over there in the broom closet next to the toilets, right back there, right? That's terrible. We don't, but naturally, we like to take the seats of honor. We like to be in first place. Come on, you're, you're trying to go to sleep, you're scrolling through Facebook, and you see some video come up of somebody fighting over a parking space at Target Not moving their car. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm calling the cops. You call the cops. I'm not moving my car. I had this first place. I'm thinking, you're going in to buy toilet paper. It's not like these are seats at the World Series or at the NBA Finals or at the Super Bowl. Or that'd be worth throwing a few hands to get a good parking space. We're talking about Target. You couldn't just pull over. You couldn't just pull over. Ten, 10 spaces back, right? You ever notice that? Like we, we have to have the closest space to the front of the door directly centered. Some of you are more righteous than this. You park your vehicle in the back, but it's for self-righteous reasons because you don't want anybody to hit your car. So you park away in the back. Nevertheless, some of us just want to park in front and we can't imagine We can't imagine. We will circle that parking lot over and over and over until we find a space that's close to us. Instead of just saying, you know what? Ten spaces over, that's just about, you know, 70 extra steps. God forbid that I would have to walk 70 extra steps in the hot sun. You know, it's not like we're getting reports of people going, man walking from parking space collapses dies in of heat stroke because he parked 10 steps over with a child weeping, if only my daddy had parked closer to the front door at Target. We don't hear about that. We have to, we're always trying to put ourselves front and center, always trying to put ourselves forward. Guys, this, all silliness aside, this invades our faith. It, it invades our walk with God. It attempts to make its way and infringe its way into the way we see life and do life and demand. And the cutthroat that we deal with every single day when it, not in church, outside of these four walls that we deal with, can begin to weigh on us in such a, such a way where, where we're like, I'm not parking 10 spaces away. I'm going to park right here. This is where I need to be. And I'm telling you, Jesus is saying there's a better way. You don't always have to take the place of honor. You don't always have to have the front parking space. You don't always have to have the title, the position, the prestige, the affirmation. God gives it to you with this great title, humble servant. That's what he's saying about us. When we say we're Christians, we're actually saying that to the world. We're humble servants. Then you get on the internet and you see what everybody's doing in the name of Jesus and you think, how embarrassing, right? And then you do something like that and you're like, oh, I'm glad nobody saw that. See, God sees, Uh, this passage blows me away. He sat down at the party and it says, and he took notice of how people were sitting in places of honor. You know what that tells me? God sees where I'm seating myself. God sees not just where I'm positioning myself, but why I'm positioning myself. God sees the motive of my heart. God sees the motive of my actions. So what is God saying through this passage? That true greatness chooses humility over visibility. Come on. In the day of Instagram, you know, if you're like, well, I'm not into that. Well, your kids are and your grandkids are. And let me tell you this. It's all about visibility now. Kids don't want to be rock stars or hip-hop stars anymore. Kids want to be YouTube stars. They want to have something to say at 14 to you and to your generation, the generation that's going to take care of you. Okay, now it got scary. (laughs) Kids with hundreds of thousands of followers speaking into your child, your nephew, your niece, philosophy of life, truth or error about God, putting themselves in the front seat. It got real, didn't it? (laughs) We've got to think bigger about how we're here to serve. In fact, even when it comes to our nieces, nephews, grandchildren, we've got to start to see how we can serve another generation. Come on, remember how annoyed you were when you'd hear, as a teenager, one of your older relatives start to complain about, ah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? (laughs) Right, when you look at the world, what are you saying now, (laughs) at your age? You don't want to become that. You want to become a contributor, an investor. Somehow find a way to serve the thing that's driving you crazy. Stop waiting for it to serve you. I want somebody going to fix this country. Start serving this country somehow. Is somebody going to fix this, this city? Start serving the city somehow. It's easier to sit in the seat of honor and dictate how things should be. I'll tell you this: uh, our statistically, our church—I think we're around thirty-something percent of people who actually give tithe into our church and give financially into our church. Which means sixty to seventy percent don't give anything. Now we're above statistically the national average of twenty percent, but that means sixty to seventy percent of the church is being carried by the thirty percent. They're expecting the thirty percent, and this is this is like for years. They're, they're, who, who, as the church has grown, you always keep that average. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that people come to church wanting it to be a great church, but three or four out of ten are willing to invest, not just to be obedient to God with the tithe, but to just invest financially, anything. And that it's always carried by a small percentage. Sadly, the same type of percentage as the windows that you see in corporate America. When it comes to how a 20% window can actually hold together a lot of the business. That's actually scary to me. (laughs) That God does so much in our church with so little. That God does such great things in people's lives. This is my third service today. This is the third service. As you can see, it's filled and there's room over here in an overflow. We started with one service years ago in one building. We now have four different buildings here. We're about to start a second campus on the other side of the city. It's going to take $150,000 to, to launch it. We don't have that yet, but we're doing it anyway. We're believing God that he's going to do something great in this city, and we're not going to wait for people to get on board. We're going to take the loaves and the fishes that we have. We're going to give it to God, trust that he's going to take it, bless it, break it. We're going to give it to the city and see God do great things through our serving the city. Yeah. We're not going to wait to be served. We're not going to be the complaining church, the consumer-driven church. We're going to be the church that keeps serving. Amen? Amen? I hope today a little bit of greatness was redefined, maybe realigned in your life, in your heart, in your mind, maybe how this affects you and your family, friendships, your marriage. A lot of times we think a major overhaul is needed, and really... It simply is uh, an adjustment of humility on our part to just say, you know what? Here's how this marriage is going to get better. It starts with me. Here's how this family situation gets better. It starts with me. And just choosing life is going to happen through me. It doesn't have to happen to me first for me to serve. Life is going to happen through me. I I pray that that invades your heart this morning. I pray that it shapes your life, impacts your week, and changes those that you come into contact with. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that we get the honor of sitting in the seat of service. We get to serve the world. We get to serve people. And, Lord, this is not something that you dictated to us. This is something that you showed us. You showed us through your actions. You showed us through your life. In your humanity, in your time of need, in your brokenness, before you were crucified, here you were showing us, showing people what greatness actually looks like. God, I pray for scenarios right now. Situations, circumstances in people's lives that mirror what I'm talking about today, where people are looking for change, looking for a shift in God. It starts with them. Wherever you are this morning, however you came in, whatever you came in here with, in regards to maybe an upbringing in church. Maybe a religious upbringing, maybe some sort of background that had something to do with God, but you've gotten away, or maybe you've, you've had nothing to do with God or Christianity or Jesus or the Bible or any of this. That you're just... But what I'm saying today is hitting the mark, and it's leading you to a place where you desire peace with God. Today that can happen. See, to have the peace of God, we have to have peace with God. Peace with God starts when we come to a place where we lay down our own life and say, you know what? I have lived my life in the seat of honor. But today, that can change. It can change when we place Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, into the steep throne, the place that he belongs in, where we can allow him to lead our life in a way that leads to life. So this morning, if that would be you where you're saying, I need the peace of God. Friend, I want to tell you, the peace of God comes when you have peace with God, not the other way around. You can't work your way or try harder to get to this place where you have the peace of God. The peace of God comes when God saves you from your sin saves you from crowning yourself king, saves you from this place where you're living your life for your own glory, for your own name. God says, I will save you from that and I will fill you with abundant life. And then all the change that you're worried about, about your life, about how's this gonna change, God does that in stages by his spirit. But he says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter where you've been, who you are, what you've done, what your mistakes have been, how many times you've failed, how many times you disqualified yourself, whether your heart's been hard. God says, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ confesses him as Lord. God will save you. That's the qualification. Call upon his name. Receive his life. Stand firm and confident that you're a forgiven individual. Not that you got to go work harder for God. You receive the grace of God by faith over your life. God saves you, and you enter into a relationship with him, and you breathe in. Like a baby comes out of the womb and takes that first cry, you breathe in new life. So, friend, who would that be today in our church service this morning that would say, that's me? I need to live my life for Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand this morning so I can see who I'm praying for? Come on, just putting them up today. Let me see. Just keep them up for just a second. I just want to count them. Thank you. 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 Thank you, friend. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else in the overflow room? If you're there, you can put your hands up in the room over here. We see you too. Thank you. Just before, we, before I pray, friends, I just want to ask one more time. You've been wrestling with this. I'm not trying to lead you to this in emotion. Um, I'm trying to get you to a place where you decide for yourself that you're hearing. God says he, he opens our ears to hear this. The Father draws people. So if God is drawing you today, just just pulling you towards himself, and you're saying, that's me, and you didn't put your hand up before, would you just just place it up so I can just see who I'm speaking to? Thank you, friend. Beautiful. Thank you, friend. Beautiful. This is a day of salvation in this house. God is doing great things. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Church, I would love for us to pray together as as a family here. It's a mighty wind of the spirit happening in here today. Salvation is in this house. Now we're going to pray for those who are coming into a relationship with God. Either coming back to God as a prodigal son comes back to God. Or coming to Christ for the first time to begin new life. Church, this is a day of celebration. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Come on, say this. Lord Jesus, today I receive your life. I thank you that I'm forgiven. Because you died on the cross. Today, I receive your life, your grace that covers my sin, takes my shame. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me on the path that leads to life. Today, I take myself out of the seat of honor. And God, I crown you king. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.